the Siege of New Hampshire series by Mick Rowland. Book Four, Susan's Bridge. Chapter 18, Baron Kirk. Ah, Kirk looked Susan in the eye. I gather from your equipment and quick defensive posture that you might be the leader of this little band. What do you want? Susan said flatly. She held his eye to get a read on him. He held her look without wavering. His trimmed beard showed streaks of gray in the sideburns. The upturned corners of his mustache suggested a hint of vanity. What do I want? Why, only the warm sun and steady footing. Kirk smiled and gave a little nod. We don't want any trouble. We're just passing through. Susan adjusted her grip on the rifle, mostly to reinforce the fact that she still held it ready. A quick dip of his eyes showed that Kirk noticed. Indeed, said Kirk. I know trouble when I see it, but I have seen none here. I also know all the residents of my barony, so I surmise ye may be travellers. How might I be of assistance to you? He bowed slightly. What's with all the flowery language? Does he think this is King Richard's fair or something? Susan wondered. Is he some sort of mental patient who roams the woods? While eccentric, his attention to grooming argued against the usual mental disorders. Aaron stood near her mother, holding her father's rifle in a reluctantly ready pose. She looked from Kirk to Susan and back several times. Blake sat frozen with wide eyes. We're just about to leave, Susan repeated. She tried to control her breathing so she wouldn't appear as frightened as she felt. That is fine, quite fine indeed, said Kirk. I harbor no will with travelers through my barony. Sakes knows these are trying times enough, let alone with the added travails of the road. Kirk tipped his head and raised one eyebrow as he addressed Susan. Speaking of which, you are far from one. Why, if I might be so bold as to ask, are you traveling through my woods? His woods? Perhaps he is just a well-groomed mental patient. A wandering mental patient with a rifle was a troubling thought. Susan didn't want to reveal her destination. The task was made simpler by the fact that she didn't really have one to reveal. We're on our way to the river. Power lines seem to be easier going, she offered. Ah, logical enough, logical enough. Kirk nodded and cast his eyes around the campsite. I see I've interrupted your preparation of breakfast. Kirk pointed to the hobo stove, yellow licks of flame curling around the small pot of boiling water. He reached an arm around beneath his cape. Susan pulled her rifle butt closer to her shoulder. Kirk stopped a moment and chuckled. Yes, it is good to be cautious these days, though not all is sinister. He slowly pulled his arm out to reveal a small, three-legged folding stool. He deployed it with a flick of his hand. With an air of majesty, tossing his cape back, he took a seat. The problem of an intruder got worse. He had made himself comfortable among them. Now what do I do? Susan could see Heather and Aaron looking to her for answers. 
trying not to look flustered, was the extent of her plans at the moment. Getting away from the seated man, with his curled mustache, was her near-term goal. But what was to prevent him from simply following them? We're breaking camp, Susan tried to lower her voice and sound firm. We'll be leaving soon. Ah, quite so. Uh, after your breakfast, of course. Kirk pointed with his eyes to the bubbling pot. Ah, oh, but what is this? Plain rice and a package of mac and cheese? We don't have enough to share. Susan took a sidestep closer to the fire, Heather and Aaron. Kirk laughed heartily, rocking back on his little stool. Oh, no, no, I wouldn't dream of imposing on your generosity. Quite to the contrary. He cast a plaintive look toward Susan. Might I be permitted to access my pack? She took a step back, but kept the rifle butt at her shoulder. The muzzle low. She nodded. Kirk sloughed off his backpack. Without the bulk of the pack beneath his cape, he cut a less imposing figure, especially seated on a low stool. I propose a humble token of goodwill. I have some instant apples and cinnamon oatmeal to offer in lieu of your Spartan fare. Might that be of some appeal? The faces of both Aaron and Blake lit up like a Christmas morning. Heather quickly recovered some social etiquette. Oh, we couldn't dream of imposing on you, she said. No imposition at all, good lady, no imposition at all. As a baron, I am a man of some means, you see, so this is no burden at all. He took another bow, which was less graceful from a seated position. You're sure? Heather asked as she took the packets from his outstretched hand. Quite sure, he smiled. A simple gift to the hungry travellers. But while things are cooking, perhaps the young man and the young lady would like one of these. He produced two colorfully wrapped snack bars with the flair of a stage magician. Granola bars? Aaron's voice went into high octaves. Heather nodded her approval. The two kids tore through the wrappers, devouring the crumbly bars like biblical locusts. My, my, they do seem to be famished. But it won't do for the adults to merely look on while the youth sate their hunger. He handed Heather two more granola bars. She handed one to Susan, who put hers in her pocket. Kirk took notice. Ah, a traveler with temperance. Admirable, admirable. What's this? I see you've snared yourself a rabbit. Excellent work. A fine and capable leader you are, too. It looks fairly fresh. No doubt you plan to dress it out quickly? Susan nodded, but with a furrowed brow. She had forgotten about the rabbit. Perhaps as a gesture of goodwill for you, might I be allowed to dress out Monsieur Lapine? Susan stood, stuck in the center of several mental crossroads. She didn't look forward to skinning and gutting the rabbit, but also felt deprived of the opportunity. If she had been traveling alone, she would have quickly excused herself from the company of the wandering mental patient and put as much distance between the two of them as she could. Yet Heather and the kids didn't seem inclined to leave. They were eager for a warm meal and tastes from the before times. 
Susan badly wanted to devour her granola bar, yet something inside her did not want to let him see her enjoying it. Was she being properly cautious or unduly paranoid? She stepped back from the rabbit as a sign of approval, but kept her hand on the rifle's grip. His offer did solve one of her problems. She couldn't clean the rabbit and hold her rifle at the same time. She could still watch how he did the task and learn from that. Excellent, he beamed and rubbed his hands together. I do appreciate an opportunity to be of service. He scooped up the limp rabbit. But we will need a larger fire to roast Monsieur Lapine properly. We don't make big fires, said Susan. Attracts too much attention. Ah, a prudent strategy for a wise leader. But there is naught to fear here. I am, after all, Baron Kirk, and this is my barony. Kirk held his arms wide, as if presenting the land. Young man, what is your name? Blake looked at his mother for approval. She nodded. Uh, Blake, sir. Blake, ah, fine, strong name. Would you watch my things while I fetch a suitable supply of firewood? Uh, sure. Excellent. I can tell I have found honorable company this morning. Kirk rose from his little stool with some effort. He ventured into the woods, but not out of sight. He began sawing off dead tree limbs, occasionally glancing back toward the camp. I don't like it, Susan whispered to Heather. We need to get out of here, and fast. Don't like what? asked Heather. He seems kind of polite to me. He talks weird, Aaron said. It's not nice to judge people, dear, Heather scolded gently. I really like that granola bar. Blake picked stray oats off the wrinkles in his coat and ate them. I wonder if he has more. It doesn't matter what he's got, said Susan. We should just pack up and go. But he was nice enough to give us some oatmeal, and it's almost ready, too. Yeah, said Blake. What's the hurry? He's trying to show us he's nice. Susan let out an exasperated sigh. Fine. As soon as you're done eating. But this is serious. We don't know anything about... Ah, he's coming back, Aaron whispered. I still say we go right after you eat, Susan continued in a whisper, and don't tell him where we're going or anything about us. Heather blinked with a puzzled look. But what difference does... This should suffice, Kirk returned with an armful of mixed-diameter sticks and small logs. He kicked aside snow to create a small cleared area in front of his stool. He arranged his firewood to create a little deck of logs. Atop the deck, he stacked a teepee of thinner sticks. He inserted a wad of oily cotton that he took from a metal can. Would you like the honors of igniting the fire, my good man? Kirk asked Blake. Blake rushed over, accepting the box of matches. The oily wad burst into bright yellow flames. Blake stared with an open-mouthed smile. He eagerly laid on more sticks for the flames to consume. I'll leave the fire tending to you, Squire Blake. I shall attend to the rabbit. Kirk laid the rabbit across his lap. He pinched up a fold of belly skin and made a small cut, pulling in the opposite direction as he split the skin around the animal's waist. 
Kirk tugged the bottom of the pelt around the back legs as if yanking down furry yoga pants. He pulled the top half over the rabbit's head like a pullover sweater. With cuts almost too quick to follow, he trimmed off the feet. The gutting was complete in seconds. Susan had to admit he did make it look easy. With his larger knife and a smaller log as a baton, Kirk split a four-inch log in half. This he used as a narrow cutting board. Kirk trimmed off the head and removed the last of the fur. A few cuts from his big knife, and the rabbit was quartered. "'That's a fine fire you have there,' said Kirk. "'Now I should like to see your whittling skills in action. Take your knife and put a point on these green sticks.' Uh, I, uh, I don't have a knife. My mom says, don't have a knife. Why, every boy should carry a proper knife. Kirk steadied the rabbit quarters with one hand while unzipping his coat and fishing in an inside pocket with the other. He pulled out a small generic pocket knife with red plastic sides. I don't know, began Heather. Oh, come on, Mom. We're out in the woods with a campfire and cooking a wild rabbit. It's not like I'm taking it to school or anything. Please? Heather sighed sadly. Blake snatched the little red knife from Kirk's hands. All right, this is awesome. He pulled out the primary blade and gingerly scraped his thumb across the edge. Now, about those whittling skills, Kirk said. He handed Blake four slender sticks. Show me what a fine point you can put on these. Blake's first several cuts were timid, but he soon got a feel for the tool and the wood. All four sticks had pencil-like points. Outstanding, said Kirk. A master carver indeed. Blake beamed with pride. Kirk poked a rabbit quarter onto each stick. He propped each stick over the crackling fire. Kirk muttered tidbits of advice to Blake about proper roasting distances and strength of fire. Susan fidgeted. Waiting for the family to eat their oatmeal was already more of a delay than she felt comfortable with. The roasting and eating of the rabbit would take yet longer. What was this Kirk's angle, she wondered. Perhaps the new order of the world had made her far too cynical. Selfless generosity seemed to have vanished shortly after the power went out, but not completely. She herself was proof of that. If she were completely self-centered, she would have abandoned Heather and her kids back at the cabin. Now she felt responsible for them. She couldn't bring herself to be so selfish as to leave them in the company of this eccentric stranger. She could hear the voice of Hal or Charon in her head, telling her that she should simply shoot the stranger and get her group out of danger. They always talk like that. Bullets were always their go-to answer for any irregularity. It was always such an easy thing to say, but did it apply here? Had Kirk done anything menacing, beyond existing? Was she unduly spooked by Kirk because he was a man? If a strange woman had approached their camp and spoken flowery phrases, handing out granola bars, would she be as spooked? She didn't think so. Perhaps her discomfort was more of her internal problem than a real one. Still, she wanted to be done with this Kirk. Short of shooting him, how was she to do that? Chase him away at gunpoint? 
Would that not simply create an enemy who would be certain to pursue them? The family seemed incapable of traveling fast. Hold him at gunpoint and tie him to a tree? That would allow them to escape. It would also leave Kirk to die of exposure. Or he would get free and then pursue them. Solutions didn't seem to be as simple as Hal and Charon always made them sound. Susan was careful to eat her rabbit quarter with only her off hand. Her strong hand stayed on the rifle's grip. The family polished off the oatmeal with embarrassing speed. They gnawed on their quarters with both hands. Kirk nibbled almost daintily on a protein bar. He watched the savage consumption with a smile. Why are you called Baron Kirk? Blake asked. Blake, manners, Heather scolded. Oh, tut, tut, tis a fair and reasonable question. Admittedly, it is an autonym, though fitting, given the circumstances. You see, when the power went out, quite a few residents of Wyndham County decided that they could not handle the deprivations. A good many of them fled back to the urban realms and the imagined security therein. Of those who remained in Wyndham, Many heeded the governor's call to seek shelter in Canton Brattleboro. This left the county virtually uninhabited, that is, except for a few stalwart families and some wandering brigands who would prey upon the remaining hapless residents. Someone had to take it upon himself to intervene in the name of justice. You? Blake asked, ready to be awed. A brigand? Uh, that's a bad guy, uh, right? Bad indeed, continued Kirk, in full storyteller mode. With what I think to be a tacit commission by the reigning powers, I took it upon myself to bring justice to the land, by force of arms at times, but also to aid the unfortunate. In such a duty I function as a baron in the medieval sense. That makes this hundred square miles I patrol my barony. Kirk ended his story with a nod. Cool, said Blake admiringly. Are there still brigands? Sadly, yes. They prowl these woods like the shadow of wolves. Kirk glanced around as if he had seen something. That is one reason why I thought to join your camp this morning, to ensure that you good travelers were safe. Susan could see alarm in Heather's face at the suggestion of bad guys in the woods. Susan wasn't convinced that there were any wolf-shadow brigands. She had been keeping a pretty careful eye around them as they traveled. Even Mara, who was pretty stealthy, could be seen now and then when she tried to be a wolf-shadow. Brigands can be frightened off with a show of force, continued Kirk. It is the bears that one must be careful of. He emphasized the word bears with a dramatic growl in his voice. Bears? Heather gasped and looked around. None here today, my good woman, none today. Albeit, I had repelled one yesterday with my trusty Winchester. He patted his leather scabbard. Though I do advise you to keep a bright fire burning at night to keep them skulking in the outer darkness. Susan heard no gunshots the day before. She wanted to tell Kirk to stop telling silly campfire stories but she also didn't want to say anything at all. Any statements could provide information. 
Ah, but I am loath to talk of myself this much. What of you, good folks? You are venturing to the river, you say? He asked coyly, without looking up. Uh-oh, he's fishing for information, Susan thought. She tried to use her mind powers on the others. Don't any of you say anything that— Ah, sort of, said Blake. He licked his greasy fingers. But we really don't have any place to go. Well, we're just going. Susan winced. You know, what was she to say now? Yes, we do have a place. She had no destination for them. She still had no idea if she was going to leave them in a town they passed through or take them into New Hampshire or some other solution. Susan tried to catch Heather's eye to signal to her to keep Blake quiet, but Heather was intently nibbling the last bits of meat off the thin bones. Susan didn't want her gestures to be seen by Kirk. No place to go, Kirk looked up with a melodramatic shock. Yeah, we're just traveling to the river yeah, for no good reason, said Blake. Yeah, that's all. Susan glared at Blake as a nonverbal rebuke. He waggled his head slightly in a show of insolence. She wanted to slap him to the ground. We had to leave our cabin because some soldiers were coming, Blake continued. Can I have another granola bar? Blake, that's not polite. Heather reached over and pulled Blake close to her. Susan hoped the change would plug the information leak, but it didn't. Eh, please excuse my son, Mr. Kirk. He's just not used to being this hungry. Uh, you see, our, our food was running out after my husband died. Oh, good heavens, no, said Kirk, with his own theatrically tragic eyebrows. Susan tried shaking her head subtly to signal to Heather to stop, but she was looking down. That was then, Susan tried to interrupt. This is now. We're done with breakfast, so we'll be packing up and going. It was a hunting accident, Heather added. Susan moved past Heather, on the pretense of gathering cookware, but really to whisper between clenched teeth, Don't keep telling him stuff. Huh? So this poor, lovely family is homeless? Kirk sat back. Wandering the woods with no destination? We have a destination, Susan lied. She couldn't even think of a fake example. We do? Heather blinked. You, you never really said. Susan lowered her voice. We'll find a place, but we need to get going now. Well, well, boomed Kirk. It may be doubly fortuitous that we crossed paths today. Part of my baronial duties has been to aid the homeless victims of this unfortunate outage. They, like you, were wandering homeless. He clasped his hands in a pantomime of anguish. But as Baron of Southeast Wyndham, I knew of empty homes. What better than to match up homeless families with empty homes in need of a family? Uh, you do that? Heather brightened. I do! Kirk leaned back to beam proudly. But what are you going to do for food? Susan whispered to Heather a little too loudly. An excellent point, said Kirk. And, as Baron, I procure from the sovereign powers supplies for distribution to the needy. I also scour my barony for abandoned supplies. None of the residents in my barony go in want, he said with firm pride. Thanks and all, but that won't be necessary, said Susan, as she gathered up 
the mess kit parts. We'll find something near the river. Come on, Heather, let's get packed up. Heather? asked Kirk. Oh, such a fine name. I do believe we have overlooked proper introductions. And what is your name? he asked Susan. She stalled. She didn't want to tell him anything. Oh, Heather sought to fill in the awkward silence. This is a friend, Susan quickly inserted. Just a friend. Friend, eh? laughed Kirk. What an unusual name, but certainly an amiable one. Whatever. Come on, Heather. We need to pack up this stuff. Susan directed Aaron to start rolling up the sleeping bags. As it happens, said Kirk, I know of a delightful little bungalow not too far from here. Three bedrooms, a stone fireplace, abandoned by its former owners in the early days. That's okay, said Susan. We'll be going now. Now hold on, said Heather. What if it's a nice place? Susan leaned closer and tried harder not to whisper too loudly. We don't know anything about this guy or that house or if there even is a house. What we do need to do is get out of here. Out of here to where? Heather countered. Yeah, added Blake. What's the rush to go no place? I sense a lack of consensus among you, Kirk said loudly enough to interrupt. I certainly did not intend to sow discord. Friend is quite right to counsel caution. I would not dream of trying to rush any sort of decisions. Take all the time you need. He half turned his back and busied himself with rummaging through his backpack. I need time to think, Heather said quietly to Susan. Everything has been so rushed lately. Never a chance to think. My head still spins. Susan saw nothing that needed to be thought about. The only rational course was to get away from this barren Kirk and be on their way. That thought gave her pause. She had a destination in mind. She could picture the little bedroom at the Simmons's house, a cozy bed waiting for her, a warm wood stove to sit in front of, a seat at the dining room table. She had a clear vision of her destination. Heather had none of that. Her home was gone. Her husband and provider were gone. Even the cabin was gone. When Heather trekked through the snow, she had no mental images of warm beds waiting for them. She was trekking into the dark, cold void. Little wonder, then, that Kirk's offer pulled at her. I'm not trying to rush you either, Susan confessed. But you have to decide for yourself. I just feel like you, eh, we, ought to be going. Look, it was nice of you to help us get away from those soldiers. Uh, we were really lucky you came along when you did. I do appreciate all of that. I do. But now what? Where are we going? Do you have some place in mind? Because you never really said. Susan tried not to let her posture sag. No, I don't have a particular place in mind. But there are lots of possibilities, she said. Like in one of the towns along the river. Someone in the towns might possibly have room for you and the kids, or, or maybe in Brattleboro. Someone? Possibly? Maybe? That all sounds so very iffy. Kirk has an empty house right now, and close by, and he has food. Susan looked into the fire, silent. Her vague feelings of caution were no competition for the promise of warmth and meals. 
Heather leaned out to face Kirk. I'd like to hear more about your kind offer. Excellent, Kirk clapped his hands together. To make you all the more comfortable while we discuss matters, I propose to erect a more proper shelter. Squire Blake, are you as handy with a hatchet as you are with a knife? Uh, sure. Well then, to the woods. Kirk set up a wide lean-to with a reflective tarp near his roasting fire. With the sleeping bags laid out atop a thick bed of pine branches, the lean-to was warm enough that Blake and Heather shed their heavy coats. Aaron, with the BMI of a broom handle, kept her coat on. They listened intently to Kirk's tales of other wandering families he had come across. They savored the description of the warm houses he found for them. Kirk commiserated with them over the hardships of sleeping in the dark, cold woods. They laughed at the tall tales Kirk told them from his three-legged perch, about the confused moose, the mouse outwitting the owl. Susan kept her distance, puttering about the camp and keeping an eye on things. Kirk was a puzzle she wished she could solve. He was strange, but so deliberately polite. He did appear to be a congenial host, and had proven to have resources. As midday approached, Kirk produced two tall cans of beef stew. He and Blake went to gather more firewood. Heather basked by the fire. The worry lines in her face were less visible. Have you decided? Susan squatted down near the fire, absorbing the warmth. I don't know. Heather looked away. Part of me wants to be very careful. I have the kids to think about, and what's best for them. Living in a house again? Uh, it's hard not to want that. I'm not cut out for living in the woods like you are. We really don't know anything about this guy, Susan tried not to sound like a pessimist. It's easy to talk and make big promises. I know, but he's really quite nice, not pushy or bossy. Blake thinks he's better than Santa Claus. How about you, Aaron? Susan asked. Aaron's eyes were wide and jumping from place to place, like someone with a thousand things on her mind, but unable to speak. She needs a house to live in, Heather spoke for her daughter, not beneath a tarp in the woods. I see, Susan stood. Then I guess I'll be going. You're not coming with us? Aaron asked. No, I have to get home. Leaving the family with Kirk still felt wrong but Heather was an adult and the mother. She had to make her own decisions. Susan couldn't make decisions for her. She also knew she had nothing, really, to offer Heather as an alternative. Her first chance to be a leader felt like a dismal failure. Leadership is challenging enough when you're not one of those born leaders. All the more so when those you're leading aren't all that committed to being led. In Susan's case, her role is further complicated by the fact that she really doesn't have a destination she's leading Heather's family to. After a disaster or a crisis, it's pretty common for a majority of the people involved to have little idea what to do. Some of that is due to normalcy bias, that expectation that things really didn't change or would soon return to normal. Some of the people's inaction after a crisis is due to a sort of learned helplessness that comes from dependency. 
If the post-disaster situation is dangerous, someone needs to lead or guide the many clueless and the helpless. Those ad hoc leaders aren't necessarily the born leader type. Rather, they tend to be ordinary folks who just happen to have a clue of what to do. What about you? If there was a disaster of some kind in your town or area, and most of your neighbors were standing around with no idea what to do, do you think you might be one of those ordinary folks who steps up and becomes one of those ad hoc leaders? I'd like to give a shout out to my recent supporters at Buy Me a Coffee. Thanks for the coffees, Mark, Homestead Chick, Todd, and Kyle, and Anne. I hope you're digging out from that snowstorm okay. Check out my Buy Me a Coffee page or my Patreon page. Just search for Mick Rowland. You can find out how you too can support this story, or you can click the links in the show notes. Thanks for your support.